We are in chapter 5. We are going through this book verse by verse is what we like to do here at King's Chapel, uh, expository preaching. We find ourselves in Luke 5, simply uh, really just six verses is all we're looking at today, but very important verses and an insightful narrative really of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and I will say uh, important for us here at King's Chapel. Um, it answers the questions or the question we may have here today, what if, what if somebody came into the church, someone notorious in our community, a notorious character, came walking in, would we love them? Would we, we treat them as God would treat them? The text also answers the question, is there anyone, no matter what you've done, outside the grace of God, outside the love and the forgiveness and the call of God? And the answer is no. I think this text is going to show us also a little bit about ourselves this morning. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would, would open our eyes to take a deep look within and propel us by the gospel through love and grace and mercy and forgiveness of Christ to walk with him faithfully. That's my hope. This morning as we look at our text, we're in chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Um, what I want to see is four things in our text this morning. Four things in our text this morning. First, we'll see the call of Levi. We'll see God, Jesus calling this tax collector to follow him. And then we'll see the celebration. Levi's excitement caused him to, to have a party for the Savior. And then we'll see the criticism of the religious people, Pharisees and scribes. And finally, we'll see the final call where Jesus calls sinners to repentance. And that will take us to communion. So that's where we're headed this morning. Now, our series through this gospel account of Luke is called, as you see, Mission to the World. And we're calling it Mission to the World because Luke is emphasizing for us God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness for everyone, salvation for everyone, not just the Jewish people, not just the religious, but the outcast, the marginalized, the rejected. And this should, and at least it reminded me this week as I was preparing for today, it should remind us of the, the, the circumstances of which God chose to send his one and only beloved son who was not born into, you know, to the rich and the famous, not born to religious elites of his day, not born to a well-to-do priestly family, but conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit to an unwed teenager born in a cave, in a feeding trough, in, in, in a crowded village, not, not in glory, but in humility. Not clothed in satin silk of a child, but wrapped in swaddling clothes of a peasant. And what we have been seeing, if you've been walking with us, sermons are online, what we have been witnessing in the ministry of Jesus is God's love and compassion for the broken and downtrodden. He healed a man who was possessed, unable to break free from a demon. He touched and cleansed a leper. Someone who was ostracized, couldn't gather together for worship, couldn't have any really any physical touch or companionship. He healed the paralytic last week we saw, declaring that the Son of Man, listen, has authority to forgive sins on earth, clearly pointing to the deity of Christ, the fully God, fully man, having authority to forgive sins. Only God can do that. And today we see Jesus... <laughs> calling a tax collector to follow him. And you would think that if you want to have a movement, a strong movement, you want to change the world, you want to have this major movement to, to just 
change the way we even look at things. You wouldn't choose a teenage girl from an obscure village, a bunch of fishermen, and a tax collector to do it. I know I wouldn't. But that's exactly what Jesus does. That's going to tell us about him. That's going to tell us about us. So let's first look at the call of Levi. Okay, the call of Levi. Verses 27 and 28, two verses. We see this calling of Jesus calling out Levi being very intentional. He clearly shows us what kind of people he's desiring to minister to and the type of people he's calling and will call in his authority to demonstrate and declare the gospel. Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus takes the initiative for those who've been rejected. That's the point. Tax collectors in that day were not loved people. They were hated people. In those days, and you were in, uh, under the Roman Empire, uh, the Roman Empire would subcontract um, the collection of their royal revenues to other people. And if you wanted to work for the Roman government, you would put in a, a, a bid for the job. You would bid for the job. Of course, those who had the highest bid got the job, right, to collect taxes. And what would happen is that the tax collector in those days would pay the taxes up in front in advance. He'd pay the taxes in advance, and then he would levy and he would collect taxes to get the money back that he put out, but also money for himself. All that he collected above and over what was necessary for the Roman Empire was his to keep. The higher taxes, the more wealth that he would get. There were all kinds of taxes, too. There were poll tax, land tax, income tax, road tax, port taxes. With, when people would go from one port to the other. Obviously, the system that the Roman Empire had designed was open for corruption and, and disaster. And you can imagine the tax collector being very wealthy and, of course, hated one of the most despised people in all of Israel, not simply because he was greedy and they collected more than they needed to, but they were considered a traitor because they had collaborated with the Roman government that oppressed the Jewish people. And because of their greed, they collected more than they had the right to. They were considered in those days robbers, that they were stealing money. And because they had regular and consistent contact with dirty Gentiles, they were considered also unclean. One commentator I read this week calls them simply the lowlifes of that day. One, another one says, sinfully rich and socially ostracized was the tax collectors. And here we meet Levi. And if you don't know, his name is also, I think Jesus changed it, Matthew. That's Matthew. That's Matthew. He's the one who wrote the gospel according to Matthew. That's Levi. This Jewish man working for the Roman was sitting at his table, at his booth, most likely in Capernaum, where Jesus has been ministering, along the shores of Sea of Galilee, along a trade route, and there he is with his booth collecting a toll of some sort of tariff tax and keeping what he can, overcharging for himself. And all the religious leaders who regularly got together to pray against the Roman oppression looked at this man Levi sitting at his booth Booth, with derision, hatred, and disgust. Now, taxes or tithing was a principle, even go back to the Old Testament. God's people, his church in the Old Testament, were required to bring the first fruits to the temple, 
the income to the Lord. They were, they were required to support the priests and to give a tithe to them. And the religious education uh, life of God's people, God imposed a tax to support the civil government as well. And both now and then, the government, then and now, all governments are responsible to only receive that which is legitimate in God's sight. That's why there's so much against uh, the, the United States government gathering taxes for things like abortion, the murdering of children. But what was happening in Rome trickled down to Israel, as it always does. There's, there's this historical thing that happens over and over. When the government starts collecting taxes, they want to become greater and greater. And rather than be satisfied with what they have, Governments become obsessed with power, global dominance, influence, and unfortunately, they use the tax system, as they did in that day, to deplete their people of every penny to grow bigger and larger. I know some of you thinking, sounds familiar. I'll say it, what you're thinking. So you can see why these overburdened, heavily taxed people are in many ways being extorted by their own people. See Levi sitting at this booth counting his money, and they were disgusted by him. And that's the guy that Jesus chose to be his disciple. That's the guy that Jesus chose to write a New Testament book called The Gospel According to Matthew, to become one of the 12 apostles who are sent out in the authority of Jesus. That tells us something about our God. Jesus says to him, come, follow me, Look what it says. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now don't think for a, for that that means that Levi has never heard of Jesus before. That Jesus happened to stumble along the road and happened to see this man who never met before and said, follow me. I don't believe that's what happened. I think it's, I think it's very uh, 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 clear and, and very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, probably that happened that they knew each other i mean levi knew of everyone knew of jesus this is a year of popularity i talked about that he heard about his ministry he heard about his teaching he heard about his healing but like levi and all christ followers there there's a there's a day or at least a time period when they hear the voice of the savior say come follow me come out from the direction you are headed and turn and follow me it says he left everything, rose up, which is Aris, uh, participle, a decisive break. He, he, he stopped doing what he was doing, and he followed Jesus. Literally, in perfect indicative, continuously walking with Jesus. There was, a, there was a continuous pattern of life for this man, Levi, and Matthew. You can only imagine, just think for a moment, the, the expensive sacrifice that was made because he was wealthy. Now remember, he has not been called as an apostle yet. That'll happen later. This is just a simple call to, to discipleship, to turn and follow Jesus. That's what this call is. There's an expectation of sacrifice for all who follow Christ. What is the Lord asking you to leave behind? What, what is it that you are holding on to and therefore ignoring the call to come to Jesus. To turn from your, from your sinful, rebellious direction and turn, hear the voice of Jesus, and follow him. What's holding you back this morning? Jesus is saying, look, there's nothing and no one greater 
Nothing in this world greater that equals me. Nothing. And if you're going to follow me, I'm going to be Lord. You're going to leave everything behind. Now, I think for Levi, it meant leaving his occupation, right? I, I, I'm sure with, without the possibility of like, let me see how this works out, and maybe I can go back, right? I don't think so. I think if you're a fisherman like Peter, John, you can go back to fishing. But once you leave the mafia, I mean, once you leave the Roman Empire, you're not returning. Some of that might mean leaving an occupation, but not always, of course, unless your occupation is a hitman or a drug deal. Like, no, God wants you to turn from that and leave that occupation. But other than that, the call of discipleship here, and what we see in Levi, was to renounce the lordship over your own life and reorient your life around Christ and the gospel. Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 8. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's not denying you as a, as a person, but denying, uh, turning on your own ambitions and, and, and resting on the ambition of Christ and the direction of Christ. He says, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. The call to follow and the will to do so, to hear the call and to follow Jesus is what has been called the effectual call. There's a, there's a general call and then there's the call when Jesus seeks and calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's the call. That, that, that's that call. That is that effectual call that drew Levi to Christ by the grace of God. Changed the loyalties in, in a moment's time. Changed the loyalty of, of Matthew, Levi, from, from Rome to Christ. From greed and selfishness to Jesus. And now the most publicly unaccepted candidate for discipleship is a Christ follower. Jesus, listen, sought a man, called out a man who everyone despised and hated and was notoriously known in that culture as wicked. Jesus called him to follow him. Does that bother you today? Can you think of someone that would fit the description, someone who's hated and despised in our culture? And then to see them turn from their sins, be forgiven, does that bother you? I know it bothers some, and I hope if it's bothering you today, I hope it's, it's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Maybe we need a, a, a reality check, because all of us in our natural rebellious condition are outsiders and can never earn God's love. We all come the same way, and that is through the grace of God. All of us. And then what happens? <laughs> when a person receives that call, their eyes are opened. They receive love and forgiveness and acceptance with the Lord. They're going to celebrate it with others. The only right response for someone who, who discovers the grace of God by the Spirit of God is to rejoice in it. Matthew's thinking, Levi's thinking, man, I, I, this is unbelievable let's celebrate and he throws a party and he invites all his tax collector friends why because he wants them to meet jesus too right no man or woman who's really tasted the mercy and the grace of god want to keep it to themselves i was uh i heard that call in 19 1987, August, 
I heard the call and got converted. And I remember the days leading up to my first Thanksgiving that November with my family. If you don't know already, I come from an Italian family. That means Thanksgiving is lots of people, lots of food. And I remember asking and praying that God would give me an opportunity, Lord would give me an opportunity to share with my entire family the love and grace and forgiveness of God. I was overwhelmed by God, how much God forgave me of all my sins in, in, in just in a blink of a moment by faith. And the opportunity came, and I got to share with my family. Honestly, I'm, I'm asking the Lord to, to rekindle my celebration, to rekindle my enthusiasm all these years later to share him with others. It is something, it is something I, I, I'm praying for, and I, I, as I thought through this text, I'm wondering, could that be your prayer too this morning? Could you have lost the enthusiasm, the celebration of all that God has done in Christ for you in the gospel? His perfect life, his atoning death, his resurrection from the grave, his forgiveness of all our sins, past, present, and future. I think sometimes it's unfortunate, but I think sometimes after being in church for a while, either, either it's hard to relate to other people or we lose the joy and excitement to proclaim the good news to others. If you don't care at all, you really have to have a heart check. Do you really know the grace and love of Jesus? Or maybe you're like me. You just need to be reminded of his beauty, of his glory, of what it really means to be forgiven of all our sins, eternally loved and, and, and eternally welcomed into his presence. Levi wants all his tax collector and sinner buddies to meet Jesus, to join with him in eternity with his God. An Anglican bishop by the name of J.C. Ryle said this, Nothing can happen to a man which ought to be such an occasion of joy as his conversion. It is a far more important event than being married or coming to age, coming of age, or being made a nobleman or receiving a great fortune. It's the birth of an immortal soul. It's the rescue of a sinner from hell. It is a passage from death to life. It is being made a king and a priest forever. It is being provided for both in, not, in time and eternity. It is adoption into the noblest and richest of all families, the families of God. End quote. That's a great quote. That should get you excited alone, right? Now, please note, Levi had friends. Yes, they were tax collectors. Also note the text that Jesus went to hang out with them. I know that's a simple not a great theological point, but I want you to note that. That Levi entered into the worship of Jesus and started witnessing to them. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but let me just mention it again. Because we talked about not escaping the culture, right? Be being a separatist. Right? Get away from people. Don't want to engage people. Don't want to love people that are not like me. And then the problem of syncretism, right, where we just go with the flow. But our call as Christ followers, as disciples of Christ, is to engage the culture for the cause of the gospel. Syncretism, at the heart, is a failure to live for God's glory, to live according to his word and his will. Separatism, at the heart, is saying, look, sin is out there, and if I'm near you, it's, I'm going to catch your sin, like a sneeze. But where is sin? In the heart. Engaging the culture for the cause of the gospel is what we call being a missionary. Following Christ. All followers of Christ are missionaries. Living on mission. 
with Christ, sharing and demonstrating the good news of Jesus. And there are things within our culture, uh, we, we, you know, we see this Jesus meeting with these tax collectors. We see things within our culture that must be rejected, right? We, we go to the parties, but we're not the, the, the one with the lampshade on our head. I mentioned that. There are also things within culture that, that, that people use for evil, but we as Christians need to redeem for good. Like using money to love people and not loving money and using people. There are things within culture that must be received, like hospitality, acts of kindness. We draw the line at sin, but we engage people for the cause of the gospel. Jesus was invited to the party, and Jesus went to the party. He shows up, knowing that the religious leaders of that day were going to be critical of him. They were already around. We've seen that in other texts of Scripture before we get here. They're trying to capture him, capture him and, and trap him. And he throws him this party, not just a little party. Look what it says. A great feast with a large crowd. Peter was told, if you remember a couple of chapters ago, to, that he was going to be what? A fisherman of men. Sort of the same thing, right? Fisherman for tax collectors is what's going on here. The call and the celebration of this conversion of Levi is really the story for all of us this morning. God forgives Sinners by the bloody cross, rescues us from Satan's domain, delivers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. By the grace of God, he opens our eyes. By the work of the spirit, enables us to turn from sin, to put our faith in him. And as followers of Christ, we're glorifying him, we're celebrating, we're worshiping, and we're proclaiming and witnessing to our friends and family and our neighbors. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus. Looking, of course, to contextualize the message, not change the message, in a particular cultural context, where, a context wherever you find yourselves, whether you work at Starbucks or whether you, you work in, uh, in other places, a doctor, a nurse, a medical field, law enforcement field, wherever you are, connecting with those around you to hear the good news of the gospel. Once we come to faith, we invite our friends. They want, we, want, we want, here's the deal, we want Jesus to do for our neighbors, for our friends, for our family, for our coworkers. We want Jesus to do what he did for us. Forgive us. Reconcile us to God. That's the point. The celebration, now we see the criticism. Verse 30, typical response of religious people, right? They're all Pharisees and the scribes. Um, I realized when I wrote that in my notes, that I need to explain that. I know someone who got in trouble for saying that. When I use the term religious people, you hear us mention from religious people, we make a differentiate, we differentiate between religious people and the gospel, okay? When we talk about religious people, we're talking about those who believe they're better than everyone else, right? By their own moral performance, by their own goodness and deeds that they do, they gain somehow now, because of what they've done, a right into the presence of God. They're accepted by God by what they do. Religious rituals, reading your Bibles, whatever it may be, religious people, self-righteous people, are those who work really hard, and then at the end of the day say, God must accept me, look how good I did. I gave a tithe, I went to church, I did all the things. I, I check off the boxes, okay? That's what we mean by that. They weren't at this party. <laughs> they, they don't get invited to parties. And maybe you don't. Maybe that's something you think about. But, but I'm just saying. 
They're probably going past the house and they look in. They had open windows, open doors back in those days. And remember, the Pharisees were, were, were a separatist movement. They were, they were men who got their name actually from the Aramaic, means separate ones. They, they had so much, uh, they were so zeal in, in a wrong way, an erroneous way, and so much pride that they would make rules and regulations to keep everybody, you know, together and keep the nation uh, uh, faithful to God. They had a ton of rules and regulations. They would strangle the people. The scribes were lawyers, and, and they studied the scripture, and look at they're working together, the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus had the hardest words, the, the, the most uh, uh, greatest rebukes for these religious leaders. And they have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with Jesus' guest list, right? Well, who's coming to see Jesus? And to understand why they, they look at this, how they see Jesus sitting with tax collectors and sinners, the, the hated of his day, and they say, why are you sitting with these people? Is because in those days when you sat with someone, and you invited them into your home, it's sort of like today, but not quite, when you invite them into your home, and you sit and you share a meal with them, you're expressing to them, and everyone around you, this, this spiritual fellowship, this, this, this friendship, this, this full acceptance with the ones you invited into your home. One scholar said this, in the East, even today, to invite a man to a meal was an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. In Judaism, in particular, table fellowship, listen, means fellowship before God, end quote. The Pharisees and the other religious leaders were not allowed to have that kind of fellowship with people. Why? Because to eat with a certain people meant that you shared in their sin. You became unclean as they are unclean. So they were not allowed. Rabbis and disciples were not allowed. They were, they were guilty by association. Have you ever been guilty by association? <laughs> Have you ever heard this verse? 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. And people use that verse to support, I can't talk to you, I can't hang out with you, I can't go here, I can't do that. Well, I got news for you, that's a terrible translation of that verse. That's a King James, a King James got some good things about their Bible, cool, but this is not one of them. I mean, think about it. What Jesus was doing looked evil to some people, and gave them that appearance. Later on, chapter 7, Jesus is at a table with a bunch of Pharisees, and a woman of the city comes in, and we know what that means. Carrying perfume. She probably used it to lure men. But she sees Jesus, she begins to cry and weep, break the perfume, wipes his feet, his hair, with her hair, anointing his feet with the ointment. And the Pharisees lose their mind. Like if this man really was God, if this man really was a prophet, he knows what kind of woman that is. Touching him like that, she's a sinner. Was Jesus sinning? No. Did it appear to some self-righteous religious bigots that day, leaders? Yes. So obviously, abstain from all appearance of evil, avoiding anything that may look like sin according to some self-righteous hypocrite does not mean that we should not engage in love people. Okay? The word appearance actually means form. The ESV picks it up and the NIV picks it up. It literally says um, abstain from all appearance. That's King James, uh, ESV, NIV. Abstain from every form of evil, figure 
a shape of evil. Paul is saying if, it, if, it, if it's going to lead you into sin in any kind of way, shape, or form, stay away from it, right? The old, the old saying, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. What Jesus was doing looked evil to some. And, and although we got to be careful what we do, but let's all agree, Jesus hanging out with sinners, looking evil to some people, was not sinning against his God, right? Whether it's, whether it's a, a woman of the night, whether it's tax collectors, whether it's a Samaritan woman. And what happens is, and I, I want to pick on the Pharisees for a minute. What happens is, people like to stand on the platform, this, this self-righteous platform, and conclude that if, if someone sees us talking or doing something that they consider or appears to be evil, then we're automatically sinners and sin. We're automatically sin against God, and that's their you know, description of us. That doesn't mean we should enter into every situation. We have to be careful. Right? We don't want to go and, and, and into a situation that causes us to sin, dismiss some common sense. It's not what I'm saying. Jesus is, Jesus is showing us here that we are to love and serve and care for those who are rejected, the outcast, the marginalized, no matter what the self-righteous hypocrites have to say. So the question for us, I think, is how do we respond in those situations? When, when someone of notorious, again, I mentioned this at the beginning, walks in the room, are we kind, are we courteous, are we showing the love of Jesus? Is their sinfulness or their, their, their character or their, their reputation so bad that we don't get to see the person who needs salvation? Jesus did see the person. He loves and he spoke to a Samaritan woman. And here he's speaking and having dinner with the hated, ferociously hated tax collectors. And right on cue, the religious leaders, the self-righteous leaders of that day say, why do you, plural, meaning the disciples who are following Jesus, but really, I believe really just talking about Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? Why are you loving people like that? It's unfortunate because the religious leaders of that day had their Bible. And if they just turned to people like Micah, Chapter 6, Micah was a prophet. Micah spoke against the, the sins of Israel. Actually, he spoke, we studied Isaiah together not that long ago. The same time period with Isaiah. And, and we remember God was calling out his people for covenant-breaking sins. Things like fear and pride and abusive leadership. People were oppressing the poor in that day. And the fatherless, they, they refused to trust God. They were, they, were, they were committing idolatry, and God sends a heavy hand of destruction and discipline upon his people. It's during that time that Micah speaks out. In chapter 6, verse 8, he asks the question. The Lord asks the question to him. What does the Lord require of you? You know the verse. What does the Lord require of you to act justly and love mercy? Act justly, love mercy, and to walk How? Somebody, humbly before your God. So from Micah's perspective, the Pharisees failed uh, to, to, to be concerned about others, indicated their lack of love for others. They were, they were full of pride. They got it backwards. They loved justice. And they acted like they loved people. And they didn't walk humbly. They walked pridefully. Now, I, I want to play God here. But, but ask yourself the, this question, as I ask myself, do, do I love all people? W am I able to see through the stuff and recognize my mission is to love, care, show generosity, 
and to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. Yes, even the worst sinners. The mercilessness of these religious leaders is a sign of their unregenerated hearts. Phony religious observance without love and mercy for needy sinners means that we've missed the heart of God. In fact, Matthew, Matthew, Levi, writes his own description of this event. He adds to this event. He adds this, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. He'll say in Matthew 15, that people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And these religious leaders, I'm convinced, had their home in order, read their Bibles, went to synagogue, good people, and therefore, from their religious and self-righteous perch, they didn't need any help. Where do we find the Pharisees today? Just like the demon-possessed man, not walking in the streets, but in the church. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. They were committed to God. They knew their, they knew their uh, theology, but they didn't share the heart of God. They didn't share the heart of God. They're not love as the Lord loves Let me just say this carefully, and I'll start with me. There's a little Pharisee in me as well. I have to be careful. There's a little Pharisee in me as well, maybe in all of us. We've become overcritical about people. We're quick to say, you shouldn't live that way. You shouldn't do that. You should, you should do what I do. You should handle it the way I handle it. I don't know if we would actually say this out loud, but... Is it sometimes are we thinking in ourselves, like, how could that person go to church? Or, or maybe we could say to ourselves, you know, how, is, it, is it, it, you know, they barely deserve to hear the gospel. They're that bad. They've done that much wrong. That's not the heart of God. And that should not be the heart of God's people. We're not called to stand off like the Pharisees away from people. We're called to sit at the table and share the good news of the gospel. Disciples should seek the lost and relate to them in a way that you can extend the, the message of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. So you see we have a call. We have the celebration. We have this criticism of the Pharisee. And finally, the call to repent. Verses 31 and 32 gives the reason why Jesus is there. Why, Jesus, would you go and you sit with these tax collectors? Why? Well, those who have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Nobody likes to go to the doctor, unless you do. I don't know. I don't like to go. I got more better things to do than go to the doctor. But every year, since I'm 40, I go every year when I'm healthy. Since I'm 40. It wasn't that long. I'll be 60 coming up. Every year. Once a year, set it up. A year in advance. I'm healthy. I go. But most of us don't go when we're healthy, right? Most of us go when we are sick. Got a problem. I got many. I have seen doctors. And because I don't have a medical degree, I go to someone who can help me, who knows how to deal with whatever's going on in my life. And yes, you know, uh, they may not get, always get it right, but I must recognize that the physician has more knowledge than I do, and therefore I go when I'm sick. I heard a story this week about a doctor who accidentally prescribed his patient uh, uh, a laxative instead of cough syrup. And a couple days later, the patient came in. The doctor says, how's it going? Are you still coughing? He said, I'm afraid to. But <laughs> Jesus is obviously referring to those who are willing to recognize they need a physician because they are sick with sin. 
And Jesus is driving home the truth that those who know they need help are, are, are the ones who are going to respond to the physician and the work of the physician and the antidote of the physician. If you don't think you need salvation, if you're here today and you're like, I don't need salvation. I, I don't need God to forgive me. I'm really not that bad. I'm certainly not, not like that person, that girl, that guy. Then you will refuse to go to the great physician who's the only one who can forgive you of your sins. Jesus makes it clear he has not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He does not mean, let me make it clear, that there are righteous people that don't need to repent, but that there are self-righteous people that think they don't need to repent. That's the point. He's talking to the Pharisees, the self-righteous people. They're trusting in their own self-righteousness before God. But what does the scripture teach us? Romans 3. For we've all been charged that both Jew and Gentile are under sin. For it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. The people Jesus is calling even today are the ones who know that sin is a reality and they need forgiveness. And the clear implication of Jesus' teaching here is showing the Pharisees you're not part of this equation because you're resting in your own self-righteousness. In other words, he did not come for the people who think they are righteous apart from God. He's come to those who know they're not righteous. He looked down on others, considered himself self-righteous. And then the great physician comes and he's, no thank you. But when you recognize your need, the great physician comes to heal our sinful hearts by the gracious work of Calvary and the cross. But they had no interest in seeking their help. And, and I want to be clear this morning, when the Bible talks about the righteousness that's necessary to stand before a holy God, it's, it's perfect righteousness. God is holy, God is good, God is just, God is perfect, and his call is for us to live perfect, righteous lives, and no one in this room, no one ever in all of history can claim perfect righteousness except the Lord Jesus Christ. His perfect life, the life that Jesus lived, the sinless life that Jesus lived, was not only necessary to be our substitute, to die in the place of sinners, but by faith the righteousness is imputed to us so that we can be what the Bible calls justified before God. A declared righteousness by faith. And not only the forgiveness of sin, but it's the imputation of the righteousness required to come into the presence of God. Jesus does that for us as he lived that perfect life. And then his, his righteousness is imputed to us. Our sins are imputed to him. His righteousness is imputed to us. And now we are reconciled to God. That's the gospel. The Pharisees and every other righteous person, self-righteous person, has all this in common. Somehow they think they're good enough. Somehow they think they're righteous enough by their good deeds, by other religious things, to be accepted by God. But unfortunately, in their self-righteousness, they're blind to the truth that we can't earn our righteousness. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And they envision themselves to be good enough and holy enough for God to accept them. That's not the gospel. They trust themselves and not trust in God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is first a recognition of the diagnosis that Jesus says, I've called sinners to repentance. And when you and I hear, maybe you're here this morning, you hear the offer of salvation through faith in Christ. And if you say, no, thank you, I'm good. 
What you're saying is I'm, I'm righteous enough, I'm good enough by my own merits, by my own performance. And if you are honest and, and you, you look deep within your heart, you know that's not true. Scholar James Edwards Ironically, in one sense, great sinners stand closer to God than those who think themselves righteous. For sinners are more aware of their need of God's transforming grace, end quote. And family, that's the mission. That's our mission. That's, that's what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. It's to do what Jesus is doing, calling people to repentance and faith in him. Repentance, that gift of God whereby he, he, he shows us our sin. We see our sin for what it really is. An abomination, a rebellion against God, a cosmic treason. It, it literally means a change of mind, a, a, a change of mind, a shift of view. We go from loving our sin, walking in our sin, turning from that and, and, and walking with Jesus, hearing the call. To turn. It involves the mind, it involves the heart, it involves the will. That's what true repentance is. It's not sinlessness, but a complete about face concerning the, the conception and the, the devotion to sin. It's now I want to live and walk and follow Jesus. Do we sin? Absolutely. Do we confess and repent? That's the life of a disciple. Confessing sin, repenting of sin, and walking with Jesus regularly, continually, each and every day. Repent and believe. So just a few things we close. Number one, common sense. You and I and the church and God's people cannot be on mission with Jesus, calling people to repentance and faith if we don't engage others, if we don't love others, if we don't build relationship with others. It's intentional, family. Remember the redemptive purposes. Remember the mission. The Lord Jesus Christ went to the party that Levi threw in his honor, not so he can extort money from the people. The purpose was calling sinners to repentance. He had their spiritual uh, uh, well-being in mind. The Lord didn't go there for any other reason but to reveal himself as the great and glorious Savior that he is, number one. Number two, be careful. Be careful. Don't put ourselves in a position of stumbling into sinful habits. Be careful, be wise, be mindful. Invite others to help you as you engage the culture for the purpose of the gospel. You may put yourself in a situation that's harmful to you. You may not see that and somebody will help you and say, don't do that right now, you're not strong enough, it's too much of a temptation, don't do it. And that's very possible. Number three, Jesus loves sinners with a gospel love that calls them to repent. He doesn't say, come to me, I love you, I will forgive you, just keep living your own way, doing your own thing. No, it's by his grace and his love. He comes to sin and he says, turn and follow me. Walk with me. Continuously let me lead you in this life. Have you heard the call? Have you heard that call today? That's the call of Jesus. Not my call, not the church's call. It's the call of Jesus. I've come to call sinners to repentance and to follow Jesus. Trusting in his atonement. Worshiping him as God and Savior. That's why he came to earth. That's what he came to do. To die, to rise, and to call us to come out of our sin. To repent and turn from being our own Savior, our own Lords, and to trust him and to walk with him. He will give us eternal life. Now, as the band comes up, you guys can come up and we prepare to take of the Lord's table. Um, let, us, let us be reminded of the God. We, we use the word gospel a lot around here. 
And some of you maybe grew up like I did in a Roman Catholic church. Uh, when, you, when you mention the word gospel, you think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John immediately, just the four different accounts of Jesus. That's true, it is. But when we talk about the gospel here, we talk about the centrality of the work of Christ. We talk about his incarnation from heaven to earth. We talk about his, his perfect life, how he fulfilled the law completely. We talk about his love and ministry while he walked this place. And then we talk in the gospel about his death. That he died on the cross. He took our sin. He bore the wrath we deserve. He died as our substitute in our place for our sins and was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, declaring to the whole universe, the seen and the unseen, his sacrifice has been accepted, accepted justice has been done, salvation and forgiveness is offered to you and me, sinners who need forgiveness. That's the gospel. And this table represents that gospel. The bread represents his body that was broken, the cup, the blood that was shed. And in some ways, this table is, this morning for us, a call. Have you trusted Christ? The table is for those who trusted Christ, who heard the call of Jesus to come out of their own sinful ways, their own living their own lives their own way, and to, to follow the King, the Savior, the, the, the risen King. If you've heard that call and you've responded to that call and you've trusted Christ, the table is for you. But if you're here this morning and you never heard the call, we pray you'll hear the call right now. Christ is calling you to repent, to turn from your sin, to rest in his love and mercy, and to believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, rose again for you on the cross, and is calling you to turn to him, walk with him, and worship him. And if you've done that, you too are able to come to the table. But if you're not sure, it's a family table, and, and we're glad you're here. We'll talk with you. In fact, I will be in the back during communion. If you want to talk about what it means to give your life to Christ, I'll be back there. Pastor Chris will be back there with me during this time of communion meditation, this next song. If you want to talk, we'll share with you the good news of the gospel. We'll be in the back right there. Just come down the aisles, grab your elements, sit down, and we'll partake together as soon as everyone has gotten the elements. Let's pray. Father, we hear the words of Jesus, we hear the simple call to repent, to turn from sin, to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus, as simple as that is, God, we know that only you can give life. So we're asking that your Holy Spirit be poured out to help everyone see the beauty, the glory of Jesus and the gospel, all that he has done. And all that he continues to do, saving, rescuing, forgiving, redeeming, renewing sinners. So God, as we partake of this communion together, we pray your spirit will do a work in our hearts. That you encourage your children and that you would turn others who don't know you, turn them to you today. And we're asking that you would do it for your glory and your honor and your fame. We love you. And we look forward to what you're going to do as we meditate on the gospel, as we confess our sins, as we celebrate, like Levi, celebrate the work of Jesus on our behalf. And God, work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.